0: This episode of CCA is brought to you by Zero. All the time now, even now when I feel really stressed and overwhelmed, I just come back to that. Okay, I'm just going to think about the next three things. Everything else can just wait. I don't have to solve everything right now. Some things don't have to be understood; just accepted. This isn't the dress rehearsal. This is it. You know, and like yeah. my video sort of said, it's just this one life. That's all you get. And we get so caught up in trying to impress people mm. and worrying about what everyone else thinks. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast.
1: Lovely Yeverhood. It's been such a fun few weeks easing back in with a few light doses of yays of our lives for you. But we are finally back with our first full interview guest for the year. And I couldn't think of a more perfect human than Bryony Benjamin. I read Bryony's book, Life is Tough, But So Are You, when it came out in August last year. And then again, just before this interview for my research and both times for different reasons, it was exactly what I needed to find my yay again. And I hope this chat is the same for some of you too. It's like She looked into the future and covered off every topic that's relevant to humanity right now, and I feel like books, quotes, whatever it may be, they tend to find you just at the time you need. So I hope this is that for some of you guys. Bryony's Parthier to her dream job as executive producer at Mamma Mia epitomises everything we love to talk about here, taking twists and turns through drama teaching in London to a commerce degree and then a second degree in film and TV after that but it was finding out that she had cancer all through her body while working in that role that really messed up her vision board. I don't feel I can do justice to Bryony's journey without reading her entire full book out here, but I trust that by the end of this chat, you'll want to read it yourself as well as watching her short video, You Only Get One Life, that went viral around the world touching millions, including myself. Everything Bryony shares about how to wade your way through tough times is painfully relevant to the pandemic, and I feel so lucky to be able to share it with the neighbourhood at a time where we all probably need a little reminder that, in Bryony's words, you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. She's helped me find some silver, if not glittery linings in this turd of a time, and I hope she does the same for you too. Bryony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and just pumped to be here. I'm so pumped to have you, as is usually the case these days. <laughs> We've been talking for pretty much half an hour before we even started recording and it's <laughs> been a mutual love fest. We've read each other's books. We know all about each other. <laughs> uh, I've
0: just been a, you know, a huge lover of all that you put out into the world for a long time, Sarah. So it's, yeah, it's very special to get to sit down and have a lovely chat together. Oh, I've admired you right
1: back for such a long time. It's funny. I feel like things come into your life exactly when you need them. And I picked up your book just after it was published in August last year. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. I mean, it's called Life is Tough, but so are you. And we were all going through a really tough end to the year. And then I picked it up again at the start of this year. And for different reasons, it was exactly what I needed with all the messages that I needed to hear. And I mean, even chapter one, just resonates so much. It's called This Wasn't On My Vision Board. And the message is sometimes the universe will throw you a giant surprise party. And like most surprise parties, it's generally fucking awful. (laughs) (laughs) And that set the very witty tone for what is the most timely, incredibly practical, heartwarming and heart-wrenching book of yours. I think you are just exactly the person that we all need to talk to. And so many of your messages apply not just to your personal story, but to everything everyone is going through right now. But first, you probably already know we start every episode with a little icebreaker to ask what the most down-to-earth thing is about you, which to anyone who has read your book will find very easy to answer. You're so relatable and down-to-earth in the way that you communicate. But for those who haven't met you yet, what's the most normal thing about you? What is the most normal
0: thing? Well, you know, I think I Grew up in a a really fun household with two little sisters, they're twins. And there's nothing like the grounding influence of uh, sisters, I think, just to, you know, bring you back to earth when you're getting a, a bit carried away. But, you know, we grew up in sort of a family vet practice, which was so much fun as a kid. But, you know, I think, yeah, that was a pretty grounding experience growing up just Cleaning out cages and hydrobathing dogs. And uh, I loved it. But yeah, it wasn't the most glamorous of jobs. Uh, and funnily enough, I actually got so strong from this job, like lifting dogs in and out of cages and like wrestling with them in the bath that even despite being like a really skinny kid, I was so strong that I became like the shot put champion at my school. It's like the only sport I ever represented my school for the <laughs> shot put. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> so yeah, I'm a I'm a shot put champion. Oh my so
1: God, 10, glam. Yeah. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> I love that this section always brings out the the quirkiest facts or parts of your life that are so formative for you, but that people now often don't hear about. Like I can't even imagine. That would have been the coolest childhood oh, ever. Oh, it was.
0: We were always just bringing animals home, you know, because we'd work down there and we'd sort of say, you know, something, a stray would get brought in or the runt of a litter would, you know, someone would want to put it down and we'd just, we would just rescue everything and bring it home. So there was never a dull moment. (laughs) And like, even like some crazy stories like dad getting called out one day to a guy who's like, I've got a tiger. Like, I need you to come (laughs) look at my tiger. And he's like, I think this guy's lost the plot and <gasps> has a cat that he is called tiger anyway dad turns up. Like, the guy's like trust me can't get a single vet on the Gold Coast to come will you please just come and he gets there and this guy's got an enormous tiger he's with the circus in town <gasps> and this tiger is just a comatose in the cage so you know all these kind of just Amazing stories growing up and getting to go along on these adventures. It was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my the tiger gosh, was that's okay, so by cool. the way, it survived.
1: Yeah, that was my next question. Like what happened to the tiger? I'm really concerned. I hope it
0: wasn't Tiger King who ended up being the person who was in town. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, no. What a story that would have been. But you know, I love that that component of being a vet is that your clients can't talk to you, particularly when they're a comatose. So it's a bit like a Sherlock Holmes, you just gotta figure it out, you know.
1: And, <laughs> (laughs) What a childhood. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) But this is what I love so much about going back through all these chapters because these could have been formative. You know, you could have even been a vet. And so many people who meet you at this chapter of your life have no idea about that. I kind of feel the Sherlock Holmes analogy applies to our pathways as well, which is why you probably already know we start every episode with your way TA, doing that exercise of going backwards and picking up all the threads of who you are and what you love and what you're good at and watching how they kind of twist and turn to end up where you are today, whereas people who meet you today might assume that you always wanted to end up here and that this was all on purpose. <laughs> whereas I know from going back that, you know, your first job was in London doing drama teaching and then there was a big diversion in the middle to do a Bachelor of Commerce, but then a second degree in film and TV. And- <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, the logical career path. <laughs> oh, absolutely linear, total straight line. <laughs> but I think that's so reassuring for other people to hear that you know most of us spent a lot of time not knowing where it would all lead to so what did you actually think this would all add up to
0: yeah and we and we feel I know I did I don't know if you did but when I was younger just in such a rush to figure it out and you yes. want everything to line up and be clear but when you're interested in lots of things it's not necessarily simple and it does take time and you know I've always loved that Steve Jobs quote about, you can only connect the dots looking back. You can't connect them oh, going forward. I forth. love that but one. Every, yeah, you know, every experience and everything that you learn and it all feeds into something really interesting that you can't, really know sometimes where things are leading to so
1: yeah totally I love that quote I love Steve Jobs another way that I kind of look at it is as a jigsaw puzzle like our ultimate joyful life is a jigsaw and we want all the pieces at once but actually most experiences are just giving you a couple of new pieces or even getting rid of a couple of pieces that don't really work anymore which is also totally fine as you work through it but you know it reminds me the whole puzzle like the full puzzle that's not the point each experience. Is just a few pieces in and out and twisting and changing until, you know, eventually it all makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I love that puzzle analogy. That's that's so perfect, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, as you said, so I, I actually went and often did a gap year in a little town called Giggleswick, of all places, which Shut is a real up. place. It is not called that. Yeah. It was literally like going to Hogwarts. It was amazing. In the middle of the Yorkshire Dales with the cutest little, you know, North Yorkshire accents, all these little kids. And wow. <gasps> Disgusting, Miss Benjamin, you know. <laughs> it's just so cute. <laughs> uh, I want me to be Oh, just divine. Like I just loved, loved, loved teaching and loved, yeah, being the GAP student there. And so travel travelled through Europe in that year. Still wasn't super clear on what I wanted to do at uni, but I'd always loved business and entrepreneurship. You know, I think I started my first business when I was seven. It was my my chicken. Wow. I'd like save up money and (laughs) I bought my little chickens and I'd like cost them out and work out, you know, how much I'd sell my eggs to, you know, my parents for for were my best customers. Loyal clientele. (laughs) Yeah. So I enrolled in a commerce degree and went and did that to start with. And then actually did a year of law because I really wanted to do the sketch comedy review at uni, <laughs> mainly uni mainly so I did that for a year met some amazing people many of whom were like did not go on to be lawyers but went on to do really creative things but I thought oh yeah this isn't quite for me as much as I love the sketch comedy review <laughs> and then so finished with a commerce degree majoring in finance and I had jobs lined up at at Deloitte and PwC actually and then the global financial crisis hit And I went traveling in Africa for a few months just before I was coming back to start my job. And because the GFC had hit, everyone was getting paid out of their graduate job. So rather than starting, they were just saying, here's 10K, sorry, you know, you can't start at this point. And I was like, yes, I hope I get a payout. This is going to be awesome (laughs) because I, I, you know, I'm now thinking I don't want to go and do this job. Of course that didn't happen for me. They're like, oh no, no, no. Like you start on, you know, the 15th of Jan. So (laughs) I ended up (laughs) sadly not getting the payout and instead saying, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be starting. And I decided instead to go back to uni and study film and start a speech and drama business, of all things, teaching kids speech and drama. So because I'd loved my, you know, my experience of doing that on my gap year. Uh, yeah, so it just took a total dogleg. And I, and I do remember at that time, you know, at what, 21-ish, just feeling so almost sickened, right, by the idea of like, all oh, my friends are getting on and have real jobs in the real world and I'm going back to uni and, like, I'm so old. <laughs> you know, like looking back now you think, oh, my gosh, I was a baby. But at that time you're like, oh. I'm getting behind, you know. Totally, yeah. But so glad I went and did it because, yeah, I just, I had this passion and love for the environment since I was a little kid. Started a green team when I was like tiny at school. Yeah, so I wanted to go and tell stories that mattered, but do it in using humor and engaging people in ways because I've always, you know, worked from the basis that people care, they do care, but they're just busy and stressed and I've got a whole lot of life going on. So how can you bring messages and issues and ideas to people in a way that connects with where they're at and entertains them to bring them in. Yeah. So that's what I went off to uni to do. And uh, yeah, loved it.
1: Oh my gosh. It's so fascinating because I think a lot of people feel that at the start, you know, the end of their first degree and the the very beginning of their career, but often either don't know what they would jump to instead or feel like, oh, well, you know, one of the quotes that I, you know, I love quotes. One of the quotes that I love is you don't have to stick to a mistake simply because of the time it took you to make it. So just because you did spend X amount of years of your life doing a degree, it doesn't mean you have to do the job for X amount of years to make it worth it. I love that you just went, I know now. So why would I waste any time in this career just because I I feel like I have to? Because if you felt behind, you know, starting a degree then, you would have felt even
0: more behind if you started three years later. Oh, another quote I just love of yours. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. And it is. And it did feel scary at the time. And I know a few friends have said to me now, like, oh, yeah, we really did think, oh, what are you doing? You know? (laughs) Gal, no. So luckily. (laughs) Now they're like, oh no, it's worked out okay now. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. And they didn't tell me that at the time, which was kind. (laughs) Yeah. So spent sort of three years just making videos about renewable energy and climate change and all these issues that I cared deeply about. And it led to me getting actually two job offers out of uni. One was to go work on a big feature film with a star in it, and that seemed really exciting, (gasps) like Hollywood film being shot in Australia. And then the other one was working on one about climate change and burning down the rainforests in Borneo and saving the orangutans which in hindsight <laughs> was much more aligned to my vision my purpose everything that I love in life but I went oh flashy big you know Hollywood film <laughs> shiny things I know shiny thing you know to something that wasn't really aligned with my values at all and the people weren't really aligned to my values at all and three months in got the biggest shock of my life when I got fired and <gasps> like it to me was just devastating. I know, like I was was beside myself. I just thought my career's over. I'm never going to get another job ever again. Like everything is ruined. I was so embarrassed and distraught at the time, but it, you know, it did kickstart a fire in my belly to go, I am going to prove that, you know, I have got what it takes to do this and work in this industry. So I literally packed up my bags over a weekend, drove to Sydney and within a week I'd landed a job at this production company that specialized only in purpose-led content, working with all these amazing organizations. So it's funny that, you know, sometimes these worst things that happen to us, they actually just kickstart you onto the new path that you meant to be on and should have been on all along. Oh, absolutely. I feel
1: like, you know, one door has to close for another one to open. And if you were, you know, you probably wouldn't have taken – that step yourself you probably wouldn't have fired yourself you know like quit the job just because you were feeling a little little bit unaligned but you couldn't have got the new opportunity without that happening so I feel like sometimes stuff like that happens and in the moment you're like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and you can't understand why but then you know the thing it made room for you're like oh that's why that had to happen
0: yeah exactly exactly this is where I'm meant to be so yeah I spent a couple of years learning about yeah just Production and content making, and worked with a lot of great comedians and writers, and just yeah, created a a fabulous network of amazing change makers in Australia. And yeah, from that, that led to me doing a documentary for the ABC that was about young women and domestic violence, which you know was a really amazing project to do. It was really complex and really hard. (laughs) At that time, I was like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. (laughs) I didn't know there were other things (laughs) around the corner for me. (laughs) And then off the back of that, I saw this job at Mamma Mia, which was the head of video, you know, for I'm sure some of your listeners will know Mamma Mia, but like a huge platform for women in Australia. And I just thought, oh, I really think I could do an amazing job at that job I'm gonna have to talk my way into it but like I know I'm the girl for the job so yeah that led to yeah getting that job eventually and it was just the beginning of it a really amazing experience
1: oh my gosh that's amazing and this is the bit that I find so fascinating that we're not even up to the start of the bit of your life that then becomes the crux of what so much of the book is about and so much of what I want to ask you about but already up to this point you've been through you know a firing a career changed two degrees lots of different countries like there's just so much that it takes to get to what I've heard you describe as the dream job you know at absolutely. the time absolutely this was your dream job. And it still took you so many chapters to get there before the one that we actually, you know, I actually want to talk to you about. So before we we get there, what was it like living this dream job at the time? What was what was Mamma Mia like for you? Yeah,
0: I mean it was. I I got there and I'd sort of gone in and said, look, I I have a vision that I think with this platform we could make content that could reach women all over the world. You know, we don't have to just be thinking about Australia. And I want to make content on the issues that affect women everywhere. And so six weeks into the job, we had a video go viral, like it did 20 million views, traveled all around the world on the very important issue of Whether sneakers or heels were better, so it was like a split screen, (gasps) and I was in it. So it was just a funny game-changing, but but (laughs) like really like world-changing content. (laughs) But it really helped me to start to go, oh, what like you know this viral thing? Like, what is it around? What really connects with people, and then what they share? And starting to think about the psychology of why people share content because. You know, Mm. if you want something to go viral, you need people to share it for you. Unless you've got millions of dollars to put behind an ad spend, you need people to share it. So that's where I always begin when I create any bit of content, be it a book, be it a video. It's like, why would someone share this? And I even think about what they would say when they share it, you know, or when they're sending it to a friend, you've got to watch this, or this is us, or, you know, really going back to like, what is that point that someone's going to share it? And yeah, from there, we got to make... A uh, whole lot of videos that went ballistically viral but on really important issues one of them was called if a man lives like a woman for a day <gasps> that's right Yes. Yeah. so we went out to the mamma mia audience and said what are the things that happen to you every day that men might not realize and then we just put them all into this video of a guy going around the world with those things happening <laughs> to him all day no. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll have to find the links to all of these. Oh yeah. I'll send you. And I like another one we made was called the sexiest man in the world. And it was about a guy that was just helping remove the mental load from his partner you know by learning a oh dog and just being really on top of its <laughs> like household appointments and children's vaccines and whatever you know finding the joy and the humor and giving people that point to share but to to be able to say something that that really mattered to them and articulate something that they couldn't do by themselves otherwise perhaps so
1: Oh, my gosh. And it's just so interesting as well that then video and storytelling and creating impact through that medium has become such a big part of the next chapter of your life too. You know, that video is just, I mean, it went viral and I've watched it over and over again and every time it, it hits me in the stomach, you know, it just sheds light on, destigmatizes, explains. I don't know, demystifies the experience of a cancer diagnosis, which is something that a lot of people don't know about and it gives them a really, you know, raw and open insight into, or they do know about and they don't know quite how to word it or to express their feelings or even attempt to describe a percentage of what it feels like. And it's just done so beautifully. And uh, yeah, I just think it's so fascinating that video and storytelling was your calling and then it related so much to the next chapter too.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. That's so lovely. And as you mentioned the video, like I started documenting the journey sort of from that first day and I didn't really want to and I wasn't really comfortable doing that. But with the encouragement of some friends, they just said, I think if you could just put some thoughts down and start capturing what's going on, that would be great. Mm. And so I did and I think, yeah, like just being able to, it was, you know, a project. <laughs> it was a distraction, but it also yeah. gave me some sort of sense of control in this crazy roller coaster I had no control over. But yeah, and then thinking about what would be helpful to put out into the world to share that experience and, and help other people going through it or helping someone through it. Mm. So yeah.
1: Yeah. So tell us about what you've called the very busy and important day in the book. It's sort of really interesting how it almost sets up this. Something that I've really, again, not really ever understood in any kind of whether it's cancer, whether it's a, a trauma or a tragedy in someone's life, that there's always a day where there's your life before you understood how fragile the world is. Before you had this clarity of what matters and what doesn't matter, then there's this event, and then there's your life after that. There's like you can't unsee or unknow the things that you know after that, but everything changes. Even though at the start of that day it was just a normal day in your life, and that also was really impressed upon me in the book that you just went to work, were feeling a bit crap, got a test and then bang, the universe changes for you. So yeah, can you talk us through that day and how your diagnosis all unraveled and then your journey since then? Yes.
0: Well, you know, like you said, it was just a normal day. I was heading into work. We had Sophie Monk coming in for a debrief on the Bachelorette. You know <laughs> that's where my head was at. You know I was thinking about oh, getting in, setting up the cameras, like you know is it all going to go well and you know so that's really all I was thinking about and I had to go and get some test results before work started. so I'd been feeling kind of crummy for about twelve months and had just been going to the doctor over and over again and just being told oh you're fine it's the stress of your job you know you just need to like rest a bit more and meditate a bit more and <laughs> no matter what I did I, I just was like this meditation thing's not working like I don't know if I'm not doing it right but uh, <laughs> I could just never get on top of this icky feeling and just I just get sick all the time and you know I really related so much to so much of your story, Sarah, as well, when you've gone through adrenal fatigue and with your parasite and things that you had in the past where, you know, your body is sending you all the warning signs, but you don't mm. know yet how to listen to that body. So really, I was having night sweats at night. I had itchy skin. I was fatigued. I just felt awful. And yet I just kept pushing through it. And pushing it to the side and so uh, coming back to the vet my vet father and 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 mum were <laughs> on my case and they were like this is not okay <laughs> like they literally called up my doctor and diagnosed it wow they were like, oh, we're really worried that she's got lymphoma they didn't want to freak <gasps> me out so they didn't tell me but they're like can you get her to set off some for you know to see a specialist and get some more tests done because we're really worried it's this Oh, my God, intervention. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, really helpful to have a vet in the family, I would say. (laughs) So, yeah, I went and saw this specialist. She took some bloods. We did a, a CAT scan. She said, look, come back in two weeks and we'll give you the results. So I honestly didn't think much more of it. I just thought, oh, yeah, I'll rock up. It'll be another dead end. I'll go to work film Sophie Monk you know etc and the day was gone and so I got there and <laughs> my beautiful mum insisted on flying down from Queensland to Sydney to come to the appointment with me and I was like mum don't like I'm so busy like I don't have time to hang out like I don't have time to go to lunch <laughs> like oh my poor beautiful mum what am I like I'm too, too busy too busy and important and she said I'm just coming anyway I'm just gonna come <laughs> so mother's intuition she flew down came into that appointment with me and we got in, sat down, and the specialist just said to me, I'm so sorry, but the results are back and it is Hodgkin's lymphoma like your parents were worried about and it's quite advanced. It's stage four, which means she didn't tell me this at the time, but what it means is it's spread outside your lymph glands, it's spread all around your body and it's in your bones and you know it's about as advanced as it can be at that point. And uh, the first thing I just... You know, like you, it's just one of those surreal moments of life where you just literally feel like you've slipped into a movie, <laughs> a bad one, and you're like, you just never, you never expect that you will find yourself in that situation. And so the only thing I could a- think to ask was, will I lose my hair? And she said, yeah, you will. And that's when I sort of was like, oh right, so this is quite serious. This isn't just a, you know. She said, we need to clean the next six months. And we're going to start you on a course of chemotherapy straight away. So, yeah, that was like just the moment you never see coming. (laughs) That was the curveball.
1: Oh, my gosh. And I found it really, really interesting reading how, you know, your first reaction was because it's just so unfathomable. You just went straight to my hair. Like, will I lose my hair? Like your first concern is something so Basic because you can't. Yeah, seemingly trivial as well. (laughs) (laughs) Because your brain just can't, yeah, fathom that this is actually happening to you. So it goes to the smallest, most immediate, like understandable, relatable concern in your life. What
0: about my hair? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) But like the vanity, though, like what do I tell my hairdresser? (laughs) Because uh, this is important.
0: (laughs) I know. Like I've worked really hard to get this healthy long hair. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah. You know, and I think it is a really common thing. I've spoken to other cancer survivors that have said the same. It was sort of their first thought because that that too is a marker, I think, of, oh, I'm going to be a cancer patient as opposed to like, you know, how bad bad is this really? But, you know, I think in that moment my specialist, she was so divine. She was just the most beautiful woman. You know you hear these horror stories about doctors and specialists with terrible bedside manner. She just couldn't have been more perfect. She should like write the rule book for doctors. (laughs) And she just said, look, you know, the main thing is, we're not going to get too far ahead at the moment. We're not going to think about treatment. I don't want you to Google anything. All we're going to just do is focus on the next three steps. And that is getting a blood test done, getting a heart and lung test done, and booking you in to the IVF clinic for tomorrow, which was a whole nother like woo, What? (laughs) Not how I thought my Thursday would be panning out. (laughs) Sophie Monk is waiting um, for me. You know, I I, I know. Still haven't met her. Oh, gosh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. No way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One day I'll be like, sorry, I didn't turn up that day, but did have a pretty good excuse. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that was such, (laughs) it was just the best advice. And I was very proud of myself. I didn't Google for about 30 hours after which case I did but you know just thinking okay and and I come back to that all the time now even now when I feel really stressed and overwhelmed I just come back to that okay I'm just going to think about the next three things everything else can just wait I don't have to solve everything right now and it's yeah yes. it's been a really helpful uh, piece of advice so
1: yeah Oh my gosh. Well, I think that's another reason why reading your book again at the start of this year was just so timely. And I don't think you could have known at the time that you were writing all this or formulating all these thoughts, but, you know, everyone has been thrown a a different, totally different kind, but a big fat COVID curveball. And one of the things you write about in the book is that, you know, uncertainty and all kinds of traumas can come and bash up your vision board like your vision board is what you hope would happen but then things like COVID come or cancer come and they just ruin everything and just shit all over it but you know one of the coping mechanisms is one step at a time you don't need to have your whole life figured out and that's the approach I kind of try and take especially since COVID but even before that was Another quote, oh my God, I feel like all I do is steal other people's words and pretend I know, please, I'm a motivational quote,
0: like junkie, I love it, keep coming, keep coming, I love it. It's (laughs) that you don't have to, you know,
1: you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step, you only need to do what you can do in the next 24 hours or the next, you know, you can't do all the things at once, you can't do all the research, you can't do all your chemo at once, you have to take it day by day and that was something that I sort of read and felt like I went on the journey along with you as each new test or each new procedure unraveled that suddenly you realized life is like that. Everything becomes clear. Things that mattered instantly become clear. Things that didn't matter anymore that you thought mattered became clear. And then you realized all you need to do is one foot in front of the other. And I think that's life. I think that's one of the biggest things I took out of your book is that everything should be that way. We don't know what's going to happen. So you just need to be in the day that you're in and and focus everything on that.
0: Yeah, and it's something I need to remind myself of constantly. You know, that's a great thing. You know, we were talking about before. They say you write the book that you need, and you know, to be able to dip back in it and go, oh yeah, because you even after what I've been through now, you still forget all this stuff. You know, you forget to look after yourself and rest and do all the things. But yeah, so you've just got to constantly reinforce it and not beat yourself up either when you when you forget those things. But yeah, that that step by step thing was just crit- critical. <laughs>
1: And something else that you said, which I think I mentioned before we started recording this quote, I actually wrote it down. I took a photo of it. It's on my phone. And I wrote it down on a post-it note and put on my mirror that you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. So there are times in your life that are going to be just shit. Like cancer is never going to be a fun time, but it might last for several years or longer. And that doesn't mean you should deprive yourself of all joy during that time. And I think you had such a healthy attitude towards embrace the shit bits but then also appreciate you can have good moments in life in between and, you know, things I think we we spend a lot of time waiting for things to get back to normal in any kind of tough situation. But, you know, you don't have to get all the way back to full health to be happy. They're not mutually exclusive. You know, you can be unhealthy and and having a tough time and be happy. You know, I think that was that really resonated
0: with me. So It, it was like that was such a mind shift for me. It was something that my friend Jenna shared with me, who's been dealing with really debilitating chronic fatigue for 15 years, that idea that you don't have to be healthy to be happy. Because I think, you know, you totally do tie your happiness to feeling good and well. But when that's taken away from you and it's not an option, what is the option to sit there and just feel awful all the time and, and down on it? So whilst, you know, I write in the book about I actually one of the most important learnings for me was that you don't have to be Pollyanna, that you're actually allowed to feel how you feel and sit with mm. those feelings. You know, and that acceptance piece early on for me was sort of one of the critical ideas that helped me and I think is just so helpful for any time of uncertainty is that some things don't have to be understood just accepted. And and really oh. some day one I just took that on board so heavily. It was from this gorgeous girlfriend of mine who'd been through a huge, you know, mental health struggle. And she said, some things don't have to be understood, just accepted. And I used to just say it in my head all the time, you know, and I honestly never wasted any energy going, why me? Why didn't the doctors pick this up? What did I do wrong? What, you know, because like, Mm. it's just so exhausting. And I thought, I've got other things to focus on right now, like (laughs) starting IVF and getting through chemo. And I don't want to waste what energy I have going, why me, why me, why me? So that, that acceptance piece was just so helpful. And, you know, I I came across this, I suppose, equation the other day that I, I just loved. And it sort of puts this all into context for me, but it said, you know, your pain times your resistance equals your suffering. Oh, I know. How good is it? Like the pain is there, like cancer sucks. Like there's no beating around the bush. Losing someone you love sucks. And that pain is there and it's going to be there regardless of what you do or say. But how much you suffer depends on, you know, how much you resist that. And so, if you can bring totally. that resistance right down, oh. instead of timesing your pain by a thousand, and you're timesing it by zero. You know, like, and so that that kind of concept really has helped me as well. What can I do to re- reduce that resistance? You know, and acceptance is a big piece of that.
1: Oh, that's such a good one. I need to write that one down too, just as a reminder that you know, the more you resist, the worse you make it for yourself. It's just such a such a good quote, and I love that in the book. You are really open about the fact that you know the situation itself was really shit. You can't change that part but that you can do what you can to control you know your response to that. And I think you're so inspiring for how openly you do document the process and and you know make it seem less overwhelming or intimidating than it might otherwise seem to people who are about to go through chemo or who have a loved one going through chemo or who have been through it themselves and don't yet know how to articulate parts of it. So can you tell us what the process from the diagnosis onwards actually was like for you and what it did involve for you to have to go through. Yeah.
0: And that's really with the book. Like I just wanted to create the book that I would have loved to have had at the start. And that's really, that really guided everything that went in it. So, I, you know, I didn't want to create something that was going to scare people or you know, I just wanted to create something helpful that I literally would have just loved to have dipped in and out of when I first got sick. Cause I, I actually got given a lot of books when I first got sick and they scared the bejesus out of me. I was like, get that away from me. I don't even want it in my <sighs> room, let alone reading it. You know, it was like just scary titles and like when life goes to shit and all this sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> oh, like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, the first, the first step really was, you know, like from that first appointment, she said, you know, we're going to book you into the IVF clinic tomorrow. And I went in to this appointment. Once again, it was like, like you said, Sarah, it's like not something that was on my radar, freezing eggs or going through that process at 31. And I went in and I was hoping to get a female doctor. It was a male doctor. And I was sort of like, oh, like I'd really like a female. And I sat down with mm. this man, the doctor, Dr. Ledger, and he just couldn't have been more beautiful. And he just said to me, you know, it's going to be such comfort to you when you go through this chemo experience to know that we've got your eggs frozen and they're put away and so yeah like it basically started from that first day you start injecting hormones normally if you're going through IVF you get a few rounds at it maybe a few months a few goes to get it just right in my case they sort of said we've got one crack at this you know we can't wait till you're at a certain point in your cycle we just got to go for it and whatever we get is what we get and I was really fortunate you know it's One of those things that just makes you appreciate the Australian healthcare system and universal healthcare so much. And that when you're going through cancer, you get like a heavy, heavy discount. It's like a 90% discount off the egg freezing process. So, you know, silver linings.
1: (laughs) But yeah, basically,
0: (laughs) you know, you start injecting hormones, they monitor how it's going, and then you go in for an egg retrieval surgery, which I was quite surprised at that one, like you said, like, I was like, how am I 31 and only thinking about these things for the first time? you know and -hmm. I think in a way it's a it's a conversation we need to have with women a lot younger you know we spend all of our school years being told not to get pregnant and you know (laughs) like all the ways that you can use contraception to you know but we never actually then have a conversation about well if you do want to get pregnant what does that look like and what is a good time frame for women and I feel like it's you know not PC to have that conversation so we don't and so I just felt incredibly grateful to be able to go through it and to freeze my eggs and have that security blanket there. And yeah, you know, I was lucky to get a whole stash of eggs before I started chemo. And so it was literally finish that, fly home to the Gold Coast, pack up my life in Sydney. And the next morning I went in for my first round of chemo.
1: Oh my goodness. It's just so, I feel like even hearing you say that the doctor said to you, let's just clear your next six months. Like, I can't imagine what that would feel like to just have all of your life plans and dreams and goals and but even just meetings for the next day and everything to be like from now this is what your life is dedicated to indefinitely until you know you're in the clear how long was that process for you and how many rounds of chemo did you have to to go through and and also for for people who don't understand chemotherapy like what what how long did the treatments go for do you get really the bad nausea that comes with it and and how did you get through that yeah so
0: you know I- As I said, like the next day after the IVF retrieval, that was straight into the hospital. And actually quite a funny thing happened when we got to the hospital. My dad drove us up to the front door and mum and I got out the back of the car. And as mum's getting out, she actually like cricked her back so badly that she couldn't walk. And so she's like howling in pain. And so I'm like carrying mum into the hospital. It was so funny. (laughs) We were in hysterics by this point because I'm like, Anyone looking would just be like, oh, look at that nice girl bringing her mum into hospital for treatment, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It was such a good reminder that you just – You never know what someone's going through. You know, Mm. I look to the outside world. I look so normal. had long hair. I'd done my makeup. Like, I looked great, actually, for a first day of chemo (laughs) patient, you know. (laughs) Ready for your chemo selfie. (laughs) Yeah, ready, ready. Let's make this look good if we've got to do this. But but I did think, you know, it's a constant reminder to me that just be a bit kinder than you have to be because you just don't know what people are going through. You really have no idea. And so, Yeah. yeah, we walked in and I met these two amazing nurses who were just gorgeous and they just said to me oh you've got the a-team so come on in and we're going to get you started and yeah you know they they hook you up and you see your nurses like dressing themselves in protective plastic and you know things to protect them from the chemo that they're putting in your body which you just go wow this is this is a toxic concoction you know there's not something you'd sign up for yeah and it began and I and I suppose the hardest you know so I did 12 weeks of chemotherapy the hardest part was definitely around the hair loss That was you know, like the bit you're dreading. And so for me, it happened about three weeks in. So I'd cut my hair off into a short little bob. But the day it started falling out, I said to Mom, let's just shave it off because it looks so ugly at this point. It's making me sad. <laughs> like I looked, I was starting to get the monk <laughs> look, you know, like bald on top <laughs> around the sides. Like, no, one, oh. no one wants that look. <laughs> oh, and so she <laughs> shaved it off. But my sister, my little sister, so wise, she said to me, I don't even know where she got this from. She just said, hey, I just had this idea. That what is if the hair, as it starts to fall out, rather than, you know, thinking, oh, my hair's falling out, you could th- reframe it and think, well, that means that the medicine is working and it's doing what it's meant to do. And I'm a day closer to being out the other side of this. And that was such a helpful <gasps> mind shift for me. I loved that. Um, you know, you've got to be very careful dishing out this kind of advice to people if you're not going through it. But that that just really landed for me. And I went, yeah. And so as it fell out, I did. I just would say it each time, like a little mantra. Oh, it means it's working. The, you know, the chemo's working, mm. and that was just, mm. you know, one example, I suppose, of a reframe that can just help you in those times to go. It's okay. I feel sad. This is awful, but you know, we're plodding along step by mm. step. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I, I think it's also the hair loss part of going through cancer is something that also touches so much on our identity like so much of our identity as a woman is tied up around being feminine and and you know doing our hair and presenting a particular way and then add to that someone like you who's such a high achiever and always has you know had so much productivity as well that when you're sick you you can't that either. So you can't, you're not meeting any of the markers in your life that have traditionally given you self-worth or value or excitement in your life. And I imagine that having that all stripped away would have been so incredibly difficult and something that anyone who faces any kind of chronic illness has to grapple with. And I definitely found with adrenal fatigue on a much, much more mild level that not being able to do things really took away my sense of self, but that didn't make it heal any faster necessarily you just have to sit with that and and then add social media and comparing yourself to everyone else and feeling like you're getting behind how did you cope with those kind of feelings of you know losing all the things that make you feel like you and trying to you know navigate the rest of the world just going on while you were you know you had to give up everything to just focus on healing
0: yeah totally oh you know I think it, it was tough and it is just that You can only just take it as you go, you know, like we've been saying, the step-by-step, but definitely being really careful about what you consume during that time I think is really important and the kinds of people you follow. I remember, you know, New Year's Eve, just I was like, 10 days into chemo and you're going on and looking at people celebrating their amazing year and how excited they are for the year ahead and you're just thinking, I am just so scared of what's to come, you know. Mm. So that was unhelpful to be on those platforms at that time, I, I felt. And, and Which is also like I think I always, before I share something, I'm always thinking too like is this helpful? Like how does this help people or is this going to make people feel, you know, yeah. You know, I'm not saying you can't authentically share the things that are joyful and great as well. I think you absolutely mm. should. But, you know, I'm always conscious about what I share, particularly with a lot of people from the cancer community following me. I'm conscious about what I share and making sure it's helpful. But I think as well, some great advice I was given early on was like, just be I like my friend Jenna, once again, who wrote a little section in the book, she said, are you watching much comedy at the moment? And like six weeks into chemo, I was like, no, I'm not watching. I'm just watching like you know docos <laughs> and TV shows and i'm you know yeah docos and like you know getting About some cancer. more productivity and learning things and
1: trying yeah. to do online
0: courses and it was such an obvious suggestion but it's so important it's like you've actually got to force the laughter and the the light mm. things and make sure you're putting light things in during that time and then, you know, another great, I just feel like were so many amazing women in my life that gave me great advice during that time. But another one was like, just lean on your people. Like they want to yeah. help you. It's not going to feel yeah. easy as an independent, like woman who's been living her life for the last, you know, how many years out of, you know, leaving home, but you have just got to be carried by people during this time and they want to help you. And, mm. and kind of, you know, it's kind of what life's all about actually. And yeah you'll get a chance to pay it forward to someone else down the track. But for now, you've just got to lean into this and let people help you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's so much for anyone who you know wants to hear more about this. There's so much in Bryony's book about not only from the perspective of the patient how to be open to receiving and, and not feel like a burden because you're not and to put yourself in the, you know, in the shoes of your loved one, that it helps them to be able to help you as well. Like it, you know, you you are in a situation where you need to be able to take because you won't get through it un- unless you're able to do that. But there's also so much about the right things to say, the right ways to help, you know, things that could be helpful and things that might not be helpful. I think that's, there's so much practical, specific Knowledge and wisdom and tips in the book, as well as broader concepts that apply to sort of every uncertainty in life. So definitely go and and grab a copy. A quick break to share a tip on one of my biggest nays to yay and the one who helps me through it. Things have never been so easy since meeting the one. And I'm not talking about my husband, but our incredible accountant, the one who's helped us run our business, manage our taxes and continue to grow our savings year on year. Before Julian Marrow came into our lives, our books were an absolute mess and we weren't getting the most out of our hard work. But Julian has made doing business beautiful by saving us time, money and above all, energy. He's helped us not only keep on top of our accounting in business and personally, but actually get ahead, and life has never been so exciting. Find your one, aka accountant or bookkeeper, at zeroxero.com.au forward slash advisors. Now back to the show. What about in the healing process, you know, post chemo? And then you write a lot about that, just wanting to rush to back to normal. But then the the fact that, again, I Mm -hmm. took so much of this for the COVID situation, that maybe you don't go back to normal. Maybe you'll never be the same. And maybe that's a good thing that you're you're waiting to go back to old you. But maybe this experience means old you is you won't go back to that person. How has everything since then kind of gone for you? I mean, you've founded a new company. You finished up at Mamma Mia, you know. I'm sure you have big plans. We were just talking about continuing to burn out, even though we've learned all these lessons. You've had cancer, for Christ's sake, and you still find that you're asking so much of your body because, you know, you expect it to go back to normal. Like, how has everything since then gone? Do you have a lot of fear that it will come back? I I feel like that would be a big part of
0: recovery as well. You know, how is everything post-cancer? Yeah, well, you know, I... Firstly, I just feel incredibly grateful to be here, you know, and incredibly grateful to live in an era and a time where cancers like this are treatable, you know, and just so grateful to the amazing medical fraternity who, you know, like just are are literally angels on earth, I think. So, you know, like it's a feeling overarchingly of gratitude. And then I know for me, like it was when the chemo was over that it actually got the hardest sort of emotionally and mentally which right. was a real shock to me. I sort of thought, oh, you'll get through that. And then it's like, okay, cool. We've done the hard bit. Let's go. And I just really struggled at that point I moved back to Sydney I moved back into my old house but my housemates and all my neighbors had we had this beautiful community that all moved in the space of a year felt like mm. everyone had got engaged had babies I'd meanwhile been through a breakup you know I had no hair I I just looked different <laughs> I felt you know it Aww. was just it was just a <laughs> shitty sort of time you know and and yeah. I just on top of that I had this like terrible fatigue I suppose and just not feeling well and and I was in a rush, like yeah, you know, as you said, to just sort of reclaim my life and get everything back on track. And I remember watching Michelle Obama's documentary actually Becoming and she is sitting around with this group of gorgeous young girls and they say to her, you know, you've just spent eight years in the White House. How do you get your life back on track after that? And she said, what track? There is no track. <gasps> it's just a whole new track now and it's all different. And it takes time to figure out what that path is going to be and that's okay. And those words just resonated with me so strongly with my health journey. It was like, yeah, I'm trying to force myself back into a life that I have outgrown and changed from now and, you know, that's, that's okay. And, that, and it's like a whole another wave of acceptance of yeah. uh, moving slower and knowing that you just can't do what you did before and that there's a mourning and a grief around that you know I think and
1: Mm.
0: yeah you just want (laughs) to so it was a crash and burn scenario I think you know crash and burn crash and burn crash and burn until you know and I'm still a rookie I will you know be the first to admit I'm still learning but I'm I'm finding better ways to manage things and pace things and a big part of that has just been saying no like Saying no to things that old Briny would have been like, I'm there, I'm going to be the funnest person in the room, I will be there. And I'm like, I just, no, I just can't, you know? Yeah. And uh, saying things, oftentimes it's, you know, it's saying no to things that you'd really love to do as well, which is sad, but you're like, well, if I'm a spent up little wreck at the end of it, what's the point, you know? And I feel awful for two weeks. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So, in the timeline from, you know, the end of chemo to then, publishing the video that went viral, that is just, I mean, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's an absolute must watch. It's just, there is so much footage over so much time, which I think would have been really hard at the time to save energy for capturing, like at a time where you can't know, how useful it will be to put together later. Like I imagine now you say to your friends who, who got you to start documenting that it was a really good idea to do so. And then it turned into the video it did and that went viral and then the book came out and, you know, it's all, it's just this entire new chapter of you landing messages at a time where we all need it so much. So yeah, talk <laughs> us through that that timeline.
0: Yeah, totally. You know, I- as we sort of discussed, I I started documenting and I didn't know what I was going to do with all the footage. And that's like what I would just say to anyone that's ever thinking about, you know, be it capturing your business journey, be it capturing something tricky you're going through or something really wonderful and amazing you're going through. I would say, don't overthink it, like just start, just start filming. Because I'm so glad my friends encouraged me to do that because I thought, you know, well, what's this going to be and what am I going to film and what am I going to make? But I, I just captured it all because you can't go back in time and get it again. So I think that was that was great. I'm so so happy they encouraged me to do that. And so I basically had this hard drive of all this footage and I thought, oh, maybe I'll make a documentary. And I thought, oh, I don't want to marinate in this for a year, you know, I just and short form viral content. That's that's kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. So I gave it to my Mamma Mia work wife, Claire Gerber, who's just a gun editor, producer, writer. We'd done all of our creative content together at Mamma Mia and she said oh can you just go through and pick out the clips that you think would be good and and I'll put it into a video and after a month of her bugging me and another month and another (laughs) month she was like oh you don't want to go into this do you like do you want me just to take it and do it and so I, I wrote a script and I just sent it to her and she just edited into this beautiful video and when I got it back I was just oh I couldn't believe what a beautiful job she'd done with it because I I just couldn't go in and and go through that footage it was still too raw at that time totally but but it was interesting when that went out in out into the world and like really interestingly my mum shared with me when she first saw it she said oh like even though she was by my side and held my hand every step of the way through that journey. She said, I had no idea of the depths of the pain that you were in throughout it, you know, because she said, I oh, feel yeah. like you really kind of kept that from us or you, you held that in, you know, so, but but having it go out into the world and then people that are in chemo right now or who'd come through it telling me, like, you know, just reaching out and saying, thank you so much for making that video, because I feel like you articulated every thought I ever had going through it but I've never been able to really share that with my friends and family mm. so it was this amazing thing where they said like you've actually given me something where I can now yeah tell my friends and family what it was like and they get it so you know that was a really lovely unintended consequence of it and what, well, yeah one of the people that saw that was Kelly who's like about <gasps> publisher <laughs> Kelly oh uh, who who's the gorgeous Kelly and I just connected with her straight away when she reached out and she said, I just, I've watched your video and I've bawled my eyes out and I've sent it to everyone in my family. And I would just love to talk to you about turning this into a helpful guidebook for anyone that's going through a tough time. And I thought, yeah, like, I, one, I wanna do this to prove to myself I can sit and concentrate for more than a minute without <laughs> being distracted by Instagram. <laughs> and secondly, I just, yeah, like, I think there's a gap in the world for this book that I would have loved to have had when I first got that curveball that would mm. have been really helpful. So, yeah, sat down to do that and, um, you know, it, it came out in August last year and I wrote it during the first lockdown thinking, oh, by the time this book comes out, COVID will be a long gone. It will be, you know, all <laughs> over, Red Rover. And sure enough, <laughs> we, it, the book came out literally on the eve of the third lockdown that Melbourne was going into And, you know, in a whole unintended way that I never had planned for, it became so relevant to so many people and and getting messages from people that were in the thick of lockdown and in total despair saying, oh, this is helping me so much. Thank you. Uh, It was just such a wonderful feeling.
1: Oh, my gosh. And you, you just have created something that is so, like, I can imagine that, you know, for anyone who has who's going through chemo or who has a family member or a loved one going through it, that it has, you know, a really acute relevance. But it's also written in such a way that anyone going through anything that is difficult and challenging. I mean even the title life is tough but so are you it's so has such a broader relevance I think for all of us in something that again none of us thought we would still be having to be tough to you know in, into a third year I think we're all just waiting for that normal to resume I but know, yeah right? it's the perfect handbook for this yeah, year.
0: That, <laughs> I must say it's been the absolute honor of my life to mm. on a weekly basis I'll receive a message from someone Who is just going through the most challenging thing, be it that, that, you know, a sibling who my age, you know, has just literally died for no reason or someone who, you know, has has been really struggling in the middle of lockdown or, you know, like there's just been so many people doing it so tough out there. And for them to reach out and say, this has helped me so much this week. Like, I know I can just get through this week now. It's just been the greatest privilege. So, yeah, yeah, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have done it.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, it's it's helped me so much and I'm sure is helping so many, so many other people. What would you say? I mean, there's so much in the book that I wanted to pull out. Like I said, I just would have liked to just read the whole book to everyone as an as an audiobook interview because it's just so brilliant. Can we do a audiobook? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, everyone, you'll We're just have to go Sarah and get a Davidson. copy and trust me. <laughs> yeah. But what would be some of your reflections to leave the audience with on happiness after everything you've been through and then everything you've been able to do to kind of make that. I think it's a its a true skill to have gone through something but an even bigger skill to then be able to communicate what that feels like and also make something useful of it for other people going through that. What would you like to leave people with on the point of happiness? Because I think that's something that's the, the big question for this show is what is that? How interrelated is it with success, productivity, health, what is going on in the world around us? Where does not being a Pollyanna fit in with that? How does everything happens for a reason fit into that? You know, this it's just such a difficult concept, but it's something we're all really striving for in life. How do you feel about it now? What words do you have to anyone who has been having a shit time but needs some words on on finding happiness in life?
0: Yeah, I really think, you know, that concept of you just can't future date it, which is what I think I did a lot then and I'm more conscious of it now but you just cannot wait for you know when I've got that job yeah. when I've saved that money when I've lost that weight when I you know I've got that great outfit and I'm feel you know <laughs> like it's here it's right here and it's within our control you know and just being I know it sounds token but sitting in moments and and truly sitting in them like I spending this last hour with you I have just loved every moment of this conversation you know and just being present and having this time like this is a really joyful and special thing that you know our lives are just so much richer than we than we can ever comprehend and we often forget that I think and so Mm. you know when everything is kind of stripped away and stripped back and particularly physically as well right you know no hair no eyebrows Mm. like wow this is this is me (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, I look like I did in high school with no eyebrows (laughs) before I learned how to dye them. Uh, There's a TikTok
1: filter um, that takes away your eyebrows and you're like, I don't need that filter. Oh, my
0: gosh. (laughs) Yeah, that would literally just be me all through school, Uh, year 12 formal. (laughs) Hot, hot. Hot, really hot, really hot. Yeah, you know, like that this isn't the dress rehearsal, this is it, you know. And like yeah. my video sort of said, it's just this one life. That's all you get. And we get so caught up in trying to impress people mm. and worrying about what everyone else thinks. And, you know, it is something I come back to all the time now, particularly if I'm feeling a little shy, a little insecure, you know, like I'm a big power poser fan, like you are, <gasps> Sarah. So it's like shoulders back, yes. head up, you know, <laughs> and like you have no idea what I've done in my life. And, you know, you don't need to have been through cancer to have that feeling it's like yeah think of all the extraordinary things you've done how loved you are by so many people your capabilities we we forget you know but it's like just care less about what everyone else thinks what do you want to do how do you want to spend your days you know Uh, so yeah I mean I could go on I could go on forever but I think yeah And, and you know just as a sidebar message just for women particularly is that like you are the only one that knows your body Yeah, knows how it feels and knows what it feels like to live inside it and we just have to I think as women trust our intuition a bit more on things totally because we we get it we know Mm. and um, my body was sending me all the warning signs but I was not yet attuned to how to listen to that so I just do say to everyone now you know if you are really not feeling good like you've just got to keep digging Um, And and don't give up until you've got answers.
1: Yeah, that's such good advice. Our bodies are so clever. They scream out signs. It's just that we're not very good at listening to them. Totally. (laughs) In, In light of that kind of, you know, just living in the now, but also with the uncertainty that we all are still facing in terms of where the world's at, I find it kind of a confused not frustrating question, but a bit of a confusing one when people are like, what's next for you? What are your plans for 2022? But like how are you feeling about this year? What is the next focus for you? Is it just keeping, pushing out the book's message? Is it, you know, the new business? Is the uncertainty of, you know, the cancer coming back? Does that weigh on your mind? How do you cope with that uncertainty? What's sort of ahead?
0: Yeah, I must say in terms of the cancer side of things, I just once again, tapping into that intuition, I just know it's never gonna come back. Like that's anyway. That's the that's the wow. front running idea I'm going with. But I really have this belief that I'm like, yeah, it's never entered my head again. I'm like, all you can do is you know do my routine tests, mm-hmm. keep across it, but not over not over stress it. And I I write about that in the book that like it literally, if you worry and it happens, you've done double the worry. And if you worry and it didn't happen, you're worried for no reason. So I really do live by that mentality now of like, I'm not gonna worry until there's like some seriously concrete evidence that I need yes. to be worried otherwise I'm just gonna roll with it but yeah I mean for me I like I'm a big goal-setting guru I love it you know <laughs> no and interestingly the yeah I know right <laughs> the year I got diagnosed it's so funny it's the first year I didn't write goals I just couldn't I couldn't think about what I wanted to do I couldn't get it clear on it. And I think it was because my body was there going, oh, we, can we just rest, please? Yeah, like, babe, give oh, us a minute. Oh, I don't like don't have time shit. to go do the things right now. Like, yeah. yeah. So that was really interesting in hindsight to go, oh, well, my body was like, no, no, we're not setting goals. We are not running a marathon this year. We are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are, but a different kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: When I set my goals now, I, I literally always put health and well-being at the top before anything comes right. because I know that if that's not taken care of, none of the other things can flow and that looks really small for me at the moment because I'm, I'm living with chronic fatigue still and I'm working my way through that oh babe. yeah I know it's look it is what it is but once again that's been a whole nother journey of acceptance and so I've just started small I watched this TED talk that I just adored last year it was called try something new for 30 days <sighs> I love that one. Oh yeah, it's great, isn't it? And so like, for example, I've had really chronic neck pain for four years and I've got like these set exercises and stretches that I should be doing every day and I just have never consistently stuck to them. So at the start of this year, for example, I was like, I'm just gonna do that for 30 days. You know, so taking it in those sort of 30 day blocks, I think is a really, and for, especially if for anyone listening that's just feeling a bit overwhelmed by the year ahead and a bit bored, it's like, just pick one thing. Just pick one thing that you've always wanted to do or try or that you think will improve your life and go with that. So it starts for me with the health and the small things. And then, yeah, like I I work with a whole bunch of amazing purpose-led organisations now, helping them with creative and content and video. And, yeah, I've been moving into doing more speaking, which I've just loved connecting with audiences. I mean, it's been largely virtual (laughs) thanks to COVID. (laughs) But, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, you know, I just want to keep telling stories that impact the world positively and and help people, and just finding different platforms and bigger bigger stories to tell. Really, so that's oh the plan. Oh my
1: gosh! Oh, Briony. Well, it is just been an absolute pleasure. I don't find myself at a loss for words very often, but I haven't really had the words for most (laughs) of this episode to express how much admiration I have for you and how much I feel like everyone needs to read your book. It's just the antidote to everything that we face in the world at the moment. It's so brilliant. And I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes. But just to finish up, I always love to ask what uh, our guest's favorite quote is, even though we've bandied a lot of them back and forth already <laughs> is there one oh, in know, particular
0: like, oh, <laughs> one is so hard can I have two? Oh, oh you can, can have,
1: have as two? many as you like awesome? oh my god yeah <laughs> or oh, <laughs> we can just throw the book at people uh, and so be like there's one on every page just yeah, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> and then there's a bonus hour of just us bouncing motivational quotes <laughs> of each other <laughs> one that I really love at the moment And it kind of comes back to what we were talking about with that 30-day thing and breaking things down. And when you are feeling overwhelmed, how do you stay motivated in the face of that? But it said, people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. (gasps) And for me, you know, yeah, like (laughs) for me, that has been thinking about how do I make my goals and my dreams and particularly those health goals, things that I, can do every day practically. And so, you know, of course that's having it printed out and seeing it somewhere visually, but I, I work off monday.com like as a project management tool and I have Ah. all my affirmations listed out in that and all my goals. So I stole that from Tina Tower, like a mentor of mine, (laughs) but so now every day I start with those. And I learned recently as well that with your affirmations, if you move your body as you're sort of saying them, it sort of, you know, really deeply connects them into your body and mind in a more helpful way. So I just love that one. And like thinking about, well, how can I just do things daily at the moment rather than being overwhelmed by the big goal? Mm. So that's it. And then on the the flip side of that, the last quote I'd just love to share is a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And it says, adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. And I think, you know, The more I learn, I feel like nature just has all the answers and we, us clever humans with our busy lives, it's like the more you can just copy what nature does, Mm. connect into that, reconnect with nature. It's always the thing, you know, that nourishes us.
1: Yeah, oh, my gosh. That actually reminds me of part of your book that, again, I wanted to highlight but I didn't want to wreck the beautiful colours so I put a post-it note on it instead (laughs) in the part about, you know, looking after your body. And it was that there should be uh, like stick to the speed limit, And I think that really resonated with me so much because something I say on this show all the time, as if I invented it, which I obviously didn't, but I have this theory that, which is probably (laughs) not a theory, it's probably scientifically proven somewhere, but that, you know, over time, industry and technology and our ability to cope with it physically and mentally have been, you know, increasing pretty much side by side until recently where technology has exponentially expanded and our bodies haven't had time to keep up with it because it's just happened too quickly. We've been able to suddenly, you know, work a 24 hour day, but we haven't adjusted physically to being able to cope with that or mentally, which is why there's so much anxiety and stress disorders and stuff like that. And so I love that, that analogy of just because you can, because of technology operate at 150 Ks an hour, doesn't mean you should be doing that. There should be a recommended World Health Organization speed limit of hours or level of exertion that we you know, should be sticking to, even if we can technically do more. But I feel like we all just see the time and if it's there, we feel it because we can. And then we're like, why am I sick? Totally. Why am I tired totally. all the time? Why have I got chronic totally. fatigue? So the speed limit thing, I'm like, oh, I need someone to set a speed limit for me, and uh, I need to stick to it.
0: <laughs> the Sarah speed limit. <laughs> yeah, which is
1: actually like five kilometers an hour. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. And like, I mean, that was a that was probably like the biggest shock of my le- year last year was learning that I don't know what rest is. Like, even after everything I've been through, I went through this chronic fatigue clinic, and they broke down my week, and they looked at it and they said, but you. You're not resting at all, like ever. And I was like, "Yes, I am. Look, I sat there and read a book, and I listened to a podcast there, and I watched a show." And they're like, "Yeah, none of those things are resting." And that was a real <laughs> light bulb moment for me as well. You know, scrolling Instagram
1: feels not relaxing. Resting.
0: It's not resting; it's stimulation. You know, even yes. and they said to me, even like doing a meditation is not necessarily restful when you're feeling like it's another thing on your to-do list that you've got to do. And, you know, and so she said to me actually just getting a cup of tea, staring out the window and just staring up at the trees like that is resting. But how often do we actually do that? You know, not often. So I am trying to just find a few more pockets in my day. Like full disclosure, I'm really bad at it still. (laughs) But just, you know, It's not often we just get off all the devices, is it? And just sit and just be. Totally.
1: We are the same person. You just
0: literally feel your body wind down. Oh my gosh. I'm like literally the same Uh thing.
1: When I had adrenal fatigue, they were like, you are (laughs) overproductivizing everything you do. Like you're going, you're having a bath, like a bubble bath, which is ultimate pamper relaxation, and you're listening to like a finance podcast. Like, how can I exponentially grow my business figures? Like they're like, how do you (laughs) (laughs) categorize that not as work just because you're in the bath doesn't cancel out Uh, that it's thinking and I was like oh wait you mean I can't make every minute doubly useful like I can't be multitasking at all times
0: I know but I want to learn things I know (laughs) I want to improve I know
1: yeah that was revolutionary for me too that like you can't go for a walk with the dog but listen to you know, a podcast that's teaching you something and think that that's downtime because it's on. You're on. Same with events. You're off work but you're talking to people and networking and thinking and, yeah, they're like you literally look at for the ages people have just been staring into space because their brain needs it. I'm like, oh,
0: I don't ever do that. (laughs) Yeah. No, and it's funny when when you listen to some of the most creative people in the world, they say, give yourself time just to get bored. Like you have yes. to have time to get bored because otherwise, you know, you just don't come up with your good ideas. But like, yeah, that was a shock to me as well that driving is actually one of the most cognitively draining things you could do because I'd always think oh, I have a meeting, oh, by the time I drive there, that's a nice, you know, 30-minute break. They're like, oh, no, 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 that is, that is not yeah. a break. So, yeah, that's, that's been... Oh, continuing to learn.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had to ban self-help books or any kind of non-fiction because even though it was like reading in my reading chair, of course you're like buzzing all the time. If there any book that stimulates a revelation, you're not resting in any way. You're like ramping up, going. Oh, you got a around. and the pen. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like
1: a Harry Potter only gal. Harry Potter only. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. How good
1: is Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> so good. I love that. There's a Hogwarts reference in the book. I was like, oh, this might Girl, like we are
0: literally meant to be we are soulmates yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I just re-watched all the films over Christmas it was the funnest and then have you seen the 20-year reunion yet I haven't
1: watched it yet I haven't felt like I'm quite ready to see them as adults you know I'm just like
0: mm, oh is it good? Yeah. oh it's so good though because they show all this footage from behind the scenes like from their audition <gasps> tapes and when they were all little and like the first director just has like 50 young kids that have never been on a you know, on a set before and they're all just so chaos. excited. And they've got broomsticks and wands and it's just like <laughs> chaos. And you're like, wow man, well done. Like that that is a job and a half. So Oh
1: my god. Oh my god. Yeah, that's actual like I never thought about that, but what a disaster. They were all so young and so like crazy and new and not experienced actors, like
0: insane. I know. I know. Oh, just to have a total name drop moment. It's like my only one. But I went and did a Shakespearean intensive in London, as you do when you're studying a commerce degree. Of course you do. uh, Yeah. Makes total sense. And uh, (laughs) yeah, got there on the first day, walked in. I'm like, oh, I know her. She's really familiar. It was Emma Watson had come (gasps) to do this course for like a month in London. It was so cool. Oh my God. Were you like... Hermione. I know. I was like, she was between like Harry Potter 4 and 5 I think at the time and she, you know, had the summer off and had come to do this course and I was like this is so cool. Oh my God. I was
1: like fully offended when I didn't get the call up to be Cho Chang in the movies. Like I just was like, there is like one. What were they thinking, Sarah? Right. There is one major advantage to being Asian and it's that I could have been Cho Chang. Right. I'm not British. (laughs) I didn't apply to be Cho Chang, didn't audition, but I still felt like someone was going to call me at some point, you know? Like oh that rude. is so sad that you
0: didn't because you know that was like so open sad. auditions they like auditioned no. all of England like auditioned yes they show no. you this in the twenty year reunion like literally every child in England auditioned for Harry Potter I'm oh, so it devastated should have been oh, should have been, been me I've, like literally
1: since I read that book I was like one day they're gonna make movies of this and there's one Asian character and it's gonna be me I'm not even Chinese but I just feel like <laughs> I just feel like I'm meant to be in Harry I just feel like I'm meant to be in Harry Potter but maybe it's because I'm a Gryffindor. And she's not a Gryffindor. So, oh, true,
0: true. You are Gryffindor. I'm right. I'm Gryffindor. We're totes Gryffindor. Yeah. We're to- yeah but you know what? what I reckon
1: then. we're both Gryffindors who asked to be Gryffindor because actually we're Ravenclaws. But yeah. we were like, no, <laughs> we chose, I want to. We chose. <laughs> we cho- I was like sorting that. You fucking put me in the brave house, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Just like Harry
0: did. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this is like conversation has ended in the best way possible. I'm so I happy right now.
1: <laughs> Me too. It's like, oh, my God, when I just drop a Harry Potter reference in a conversation, if they, if not everyone knows what's happening, I'm like, well, I'm leaving now because if you didn't get that what's reference, we can't you, be people. friends anymore. <laughs> I
0: know. Oh. I know. It's like, wow, I just feel so sad that you've not had this in your life. Yeah, it's like, I'm like, did
1: you even have a childhood? Like what did you even do if you weren't reading Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: Massive missed opportunity.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, Bryony, thank you so much for joining. This has been an absolute delight. You are seriously my hero and everyone, everyone go and get her incredible book, Life is Tough But So Are You. Thank
0: you so much for having me on, Sarah. It's just been so beautiful to have this time with you and I'm just such a huge fan of all that you do and all that you put into the world and the energy that you give and this amazing community that you've built. Yeah, you're a really inspirational person in my life and, yeah, it was so special to have this time with you. So thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. What a woman! I am utterly obsessed with Briony, and I'm probably off to go read her book for the fifth or sixth time. I can't even keep count. She and it are everything we need right now, and I cannot recommend you follow her and grab her book more highly. I'll pop the link in show notes for everyone. If you enjoy this episode, please shower her with love and thank her for sharing her time and wisdom with us. Tagging at Briony underscore Benjamin and us, of course, so we can reshare with the neighbourhood and continue to grow bigger and better every week. I hope you're all having an amazing week and a seizing your yay.